0: Ah, Please uh, take out your Bibles, please. Open them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. We continue our study today through what is commonly referred to, again, as the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have each time... Uh, the last few weeks as we've gone through this, I think it's important that we do again remember the setting where this is taking place. Jesus, there was a multitude of people that were gathering around Jesus because of his great words that he was sharing. They were, they were d- different than the words that they had heard before from the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke with authority and people were amazed by that. But not only that, he was healing people and word was spreading about him all around So, people were gathering, and this great multitude had gathered there by the Sea of Galilee. And and it tells us at the beginning that Jesus withdrew from them, not because he didn't want to be with them, but because he had a very specific task that he wanted to accomplish. And that was to teach his disciples, to to minister to them in this setting. It tells us that he pulled away and he sat down to teach them, and they gathered around him. It wasn't just the 12, it was a larger group of them, but they were following him more closely. And it tells us as he instructs them, and as he, we've talked each time, he's speaking to his disciples. That means we as his disciples, he's speaking directly to us as well. He continued to have his eyes on the multitude, to see the people that were down below, their condition, their, their lostness, and his heart going out to them, to train his disciples, to teach them, to share with them the heart of the Father, But also then, not only for them to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God, but then to take that knowledge and understanding and share it with those who need to hear it. We're going to look today in chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, we're going to look at three characteristics, three actions that should be a regular part of our lives as believers, So much so that Jesus doesn't give us a command to do any three of these things, as we will see. He's going to speak to us as though we are already doing them. He's going to say, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He's not going to give us directives to do it. He's going to tell us the heart that we need to have behind it when we do it. Again, it's kind of almost like going without saying that these are things that should be an outpouring of us, but not as a legalistic, uh, pharisaical, hypocritical, religious type activity, but as an outpouring of joy and thanksgiving and response to a loving father. We're going to see in verse 4, in verse 6, and in verse 18, a phrase that Jesus repeats three times. He says, your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Your father. This is something totally foreign to them. This personal aspect of God being father. They grew up in the corporate setting and understanding that almighty God, the father of Israel of the Jewish people, but personally, caring about me intimately, this was, this was very different to them. Again, remember, they grew up under the, the law, this legalistic understanding of, of how to have a right relationship with God, and it was to follow these commands exactly and to do certain things exactly the right way to earn favor with God. And maybe you have grown up in a religious setting, a church setting, where you have that same understanding that it's all about about pleasing God, making God happy, hoping that you don't make God mad, hoping, hoping that you can do enough good to offset any bad that you might have done so that you can somehow tip the balances in your favor when it comes to stand before God someday. That's not it at all. That's not the heart of God. Jesus, when he is saying, your father, he's speaking to us and and sharing with us the truth about the father that we need to come and understand, all of us. Paul says in Romans 8.15, we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. We're not to come under this idea that it's a a bondage thing and it's it's a work thing. But we have a spirit of adoption as sons where we cry out, Abba, Father. He uses that term Abba there to, to underscore the, the, this relationship that we have. It's that personal daddy. What a, what, a, what a child would say, Abba, Abba, meaning daddy. Your father. Your father. We're going to see that 12 times in chapter 6, Jesus says that, your father. 12 times, 10 times in just the verses we're going to look at today. He sees. He sees everything. Your father, he sees it all. Now, to some, some of us in the room, that might be a scary proposition, that he sees everything. And if that does make you a little uncomfortable, good. Good. It should. He sees everything. But, but again, when we understand that he is our, our dad, our, our heavenly father, What a beautiful thing that is, that he sees everything, that he knows about everything, that he cares about everything. He sees the things that we do in secret, in our own hearts. He sees inside of us. He knows the intentions of our hearts. And it says, and he will reward you, reward you. Is it okay to desire a reward from God? Doesn't that kind of defeat the whole purpose? No, no. I love Paul, when, he's, when he shares often, he speaks of the fact that he's looking forward to that reward, the prize, the upward call, all of these things that he speaks of looking forward. But specifically in 2 Timothy chapter four, at the end of his life, he writes to Timothy and says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Tell me he's not looking forward to that. Tell me he's not excited about that. And we should be too. Because guess what? There's one for us. He goes on. Not only to me, but also to all who has, have loved his appearing. You love the Lord Jesus, can't wait for his appearing, can't wait to stand in his presence one day. There's a reward for you and me, too. Again, Jesus. Continually sharing with us the heart of the Father and the heart that we are to have. I had a conversation the other day with, a, with another pastor, and he was asking me, He says, Where does, where does God have your church right now? And he, he wasn't meaning what section of scripture. He was saying, what, what is God saying to you? And that was easy for me to answer. And I don't know about you, but if we, as we've gone through the last few weeks, it's easy for me to see where God is speaking to us, at least where He's speaking to me. It's a matter of our hearts. Continually comes back to the hearts that we are to have. As we've gone through the, this teaching that Jesus keeps going through, it uh, seems that the theme each week is the position of our hearts. And he continues that here in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Here Jesus in verse 1 gives us a practical statement and then in the next few verses he illustrates this, what he is saying in verse 1. He speaks in verse 1 of when we do righteousness, when we do deeds as, as followers of God, we are to do them in such a way as to not to draw attention to ourselves but to give glory to God. When we do something... Again, it, it, as, as, as God has, has led us to do, it should never be to, hey, look at me. The response shouldn't be, oh, man, look how holy they are. Man, you are so righteous. Drawing attention to ourselves. And he illustrates this through the, the idea of when people give. He says, don't give as the hypocrites do. That word hypocrite was a word that was used to describe a play actor that would change masks throughout the, throughout the, the play, and the masks would hide their true identity. The people in the audience never knew the, the real identity of the actor, and it continued to change. And, and he's saying that, that same thing. When you give, you put on this mask of righteousness, this mask of holiness, but behind it, it's all selfishness. It's all designed and pointed to me. Look at me. The world is your stage and your, your play acting. He says, beware, beware, watch out for your motives. There's a danger of cultivating this, this image of, of righteousness. Now, does this mean that we, when we do the things that God leads us and, and directs us to do, we should look around first to make sure that no one is looking? No, no. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we are to live our lives in such a way and do things in such a way that, that people do notice, but give all glory to God. None to ourselves, none in such a way that we bring honor and glory to ourselves. In when it comes specifically to giving, there is an anonymous aspect to that because that is one of those ways that we can really puff ourselves up in, in, in the act of, of giving to where others would see what we are doing. Jesus, again, these, the hypocrites speaking of the Pharisees and, and the rabbis as they would give, there's some debate as to whether Jesus is speaking literally or figuratively when he speaks of blowing trumpets. Were they, were they really walking around and having people blow trumpets before they, they gave? I, I don't believe that he's speaking literally. I think he's speaking figuratively, and we speak that same way when we say, you know, blow your own horn, right? Don't, don't toot your own horn kind of thing. Don't draw attention to yourself to, to puff yourself up to make sure everybody sees what it is that you're doing. If your horn's going to get tooted, let God toot your horn. <laughs> Don't do it yourself. He says when you do, when you do that, when, it, when your intention is to draw attention to yourself, you've received your reward in full. In full. That means nothing later. So if that's your heart, if, if, your, if your intention is that people would notice what it is that you're doing, make sure somebody captures it on their smartphone so that you can you know, upload it on YouTube to get maximize the reward you're going to get now, because that's it. The reward, by the way, that you receive from men, from, from the world, for the gifts and the, the, the work that you do, is just as shallow and hypocritical as the act. There's nothing there. Jesus said, but, but when you give, do it in such a way that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Do it in such a way that that it it is a complete act of worship. Nothing to gain anything for yourself. It's between you and God alone. Charles Spurgeon said, Keep the thing so secret that even you yourselves are hardly aware that what you are doing is anything at all praiseworthy. He will reward you. He will toot your horn. It's, I know I've shared this before in this, but I think there's a, there's a, a valuable piece to this when we understand it. Because it is easy for us to say, well, I should get credit a little bit, right? I mean, I am sacrificing. I am giving from what I have. If we understand this truth, that all of the things that we do, when we follow what it is that God leads and guides us and directs us to do, we are simply passing on what was eternally planned before. What do I mean by that? Well, when we see a need and we fulfill that need, as James tells us, if we don't, what good are we? It says if we see a need and we have the means to fulfill that need and we just say, hey, brother, have a, have a great day, what, what good is that? But if we have the, have the means to fulfill that and we do, understand that that was never meant for us. What we gave was never ours. God entrusted it to us because he eternally meant for it to get to that destination. He simply used us as the brokers in the deal. We're blessing brokers. And when we do that, do you realize the blessing we get in exchange eternally? The commission on that deal? (laughs) God allows us to play a part in his eternal plan. That I can never get enough of that thought. And how in the world could we then say, man, I deserve some credit for that. It was never mine. He entrusted it to me to pass it along. The only thing I could have possibly done was mess it up. (laughs) Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's true. That's true. Well, he goes on, verse five. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray... Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, not a command to pray, working under the assumption that we're already praying. But when we pray, He's speaking to the heart of the individual who is praying. And he's speaking against initially, again, that hypocritical heart, that one that draws attention to themselves when they pray. The one that 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 is the loudest, the one that is the, the most boisterous, the one who who say, you know, again, look at me, hear what I gotta say. And he draws attention to those that pray on the street corners or allowed in the synagogues, the ones on the street corners, the ones who timed their charitable giving in such a way that in order that, that, that they were going to be late for the prayer call that was at 9 o'clock noon and 3 o'clock in the synagogue. So they're out doing their charitable deeds in such a way. Again, everybody, hey, look what I'm doing over here. And oh, man, it's, I'm going to be late for prayer. So I may as well pray right here too and pray it out loud and drawing attention to themselves. Jesus, again, hypocrites, doing that to be noticed by men instead of heard by God. Again, enjoy it. Enjoy the recognition. Enjoy the reward. It's all, it's all you're going to get. Now, one thing, because we, we get some more in verses seven and eight when it comes to this, but before we move off of this, where he says, go in, when you pray, go into your private place, go into your prayer closet. You go in, you and God, isolated, alone, and have that time in prayer. This is not an indictment against corporate prayer. Jesus is not saying here, don't get together and pray corporately. There is something amazing that happens when the body of believers gets together and just seeks God's face in prayer. If you've never been a part of our Sunday night prayer services, please plan on that. It's the first Sunday night of every month. We get together here and we just pray. We seek God's face together and it is an amazing blessing. We're going to talk a little bit more about about individual prayer in a moment, but I believe what, what, what Jesus is speaking to here is when we get together and pray corporately, it shouldn't sound any different than when we pray alone at home. It shouldn't be any <laughs> it shouldn't be any louder. shouldn't be our, our vocabulary shouldn't change. Maybe you've been a part of that before. Gathering together and somebody will just cry out. And, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Please bendeth thine ear to hear from thine humble servant. And that how you pray at home? Somehow I doubt that. And that's, that's, the, that's the point behind this, I believe. Again, in those situations, who, who are you honoring? Who are you glorifying? Who are you drawing attention to? Our prayers should be in such a way that when we're praying corporately, no attention is drawn to who is verbally saying the prayer. It is all amen. I'm right with that. I am before the throne with you in that prayer. No attention drawn to yourself. He says in verse 7, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In verses 5 and 6, he dealt with hypocrites who pray with the wrong motives for their prayer, to impress others instead of to seek God. Here, he draws attention or comparison to Gentiles and heathen who didn't pray with the wrong motive. They just prayed with the wrong method in order to reach God. These these Gentiles, these heathens, we see this, this meaningless repetition in a couple of examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when the prophets of Baal for hours kept chanting this mantra over and over and cutting themselves with stones trying to reach Baal for their, their answer. Or, or in the New Testament, Paul tells us of, the, of this incident where the, the, the worshipers of Artemis kept on chanting over and over and over and over the same thing, repetition, meaningless repetition. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up into ritual, mechanical repetition that just flows right off the top of your head, off the tip of your tongue, and just brum, 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 brum. And maybe some of you have grown up in that environment. Where you were told to just go home and say this prayer seven times, this prayer nine times, and you're good, and you go through and you away we go. And it wasn't anything from the heart, it was all just rote memory right off the top of your head. He's not speaking against repetition, just meaningless repetition. Paul. Very meaningful repetition, said he prayed three times that a thorn in the flesh would be removed from him, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus himself, in the garden, prayed three times that this cup, Lord, if there's any other way that this cup would pass from me. Very powerful and meaningful repetition, but he said, and not my will, but yours be done. It's not the repetition. Jesus, as a matter of fact, when we get to chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Those words, ask, seek, knock, those three words are written in such a way that says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, with a heart that is is seeking after God. So he speaks against just meaningless repetition. He speaks against many words. Again, you've... (laughs) You've probably been around that situation before too where somebody prays and it's just on and on and on and on and on. Maybe you heard the, the story of the family that got together for their big reunion and they asked grandpa to pray and he did that before the meal and he just prayed and it went on and on and on and on and finally amen and they all sit down and and little, little Jimmy at the end of the table, he's sitting there and his shoulders are all shrugged. He's looking at his food and mommy goes, what's the matter? He says, Grandpa prayed my food cold. <laughs> Thinking that it's just this lengthy prayer filling up the, the airwaves with our voice that will cause God to hear. Charles Spurgeon again says, Christians' prayers are measured by their weight, not their length. We sang a song earlier, many might not know that that's coming right out of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 5.2, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. Where was I? That's kind of, you could dance to that. Let our words be few. So often in our prayers, we, we get this idea, and, and we can all be guilty of this, whether it's for five, three minutes, five minutes, or an hour, where we feel that it's, it's our job in prayer to just fill up the, the airwaves. Lord, hear, hear me, and just keep going and keep going and keep going. Guys, God desires a dialogue with us, not a monologue. We need to leave room for God to speak to us. We need to leave room to hear from God. We need to leave room for the purpose of prayer. And that is not to align God's will with ours, but to align our will with his. And unless we hear from him, we can't do that. We lay our requests before him. We share with him, of course, what is on our heart. And by the way, he already knows. But we share with him. But then we, we have to have that where we say, all right, God, here's what I'd like. But if you want to throw all of that off to the side and change everything, I'm good with that. That's the heart behind Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean be happy with God, and he'll give you anything you want. It means this desire to, I delight myself in you, Lord, because I know you love me, and you know what's best for me. So here's what I'd like, again, but you want to pitch it? Cool. Delight Give me the delight of my heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What he'll do first is change your desires. And then he'll give you those desires. He knows what we need before we ask. He already knows what's best for us. And again, some of the greatest prayers, the ones that are answered immediately, are the shortest ones. The ones that are just to cry out to God Think of Peter walking walking on the water, right? Jesus said, come out, step out of the boat, Peter, and he did. He's walking on the water. He's walking towards Jesus, but we know what happens. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts looking at, at the storm around him. You don't think Jesus saw that? He knew, and he knew Peter's need before Peter said it. He knew what was going to happen next, Peter starts to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts to go down, and his, his prayer is short but sincere. Lord, save me. And Jesus' response wasn't, you know, Peter, that's not the, crop, the proper prayer order. You need to start with adoration, and then confession, and then thanksgiving, then supplication. He'd have done that, he'd have been at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> you know, again, I, I see this unfold in, in my mind's eye that as Peter again is looking around, he's not looking at Jesus, he's starting to sink. And when he cries out, Lord, save me, Jesus' hand is already there. Because he knew Peter's need before he asked. Guys, God wants to bless us. He wants to pour out his grace and his mercy and his blessing on us. He wants to bless us far beyond what we could even ask or think. And prayer is such an amazing privilege to open up that, that avenue. God is always, always, always available to us. In prayer, we will never, ever bother him. How often do you feel that way? Man, I don't want to bother God with this. He's like, please do. Please come to me. (laughs) Speak to God, to hear from God. Hebrews 4.16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So often, too, in our prayer life or lack thereof, when we feel a desire to go to the Lord with something, the enemy is going to be like, yeah, right, you're going to go to him now. You know. And, and we have this feeling like when we do, God's going to say, where have you been? About time. That's not God's heart. God's heart again is, oh, man, it's so good to hear from you. Been waiting. Got some stuff I'd like to share with you, too. I love the story of Zacchaeus. And one of the things about the story of Zacchaeus that I that I that I love so much is is Jesus, he's walking through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die for you and me. You think there's a little on his mind? But he's walking through Jericho, and there's a mass of people around him. They're all headed to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. So Jericho's a buzzing place anyway, because it's en route for most people. But it's really for Jesus when he's coming through, because after three years of ministry, again, this huge multitude following him around. He's walking through Jericho, and you know what happens? He gets halfway through town, he looks up in a tree, and he says, Zacchaeus. This is, you know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, climbed up in a sycamore tree, because the Lord, he wanted to see, you know. (laughs) Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm coming to your house today. Now, what so blesses me about that, and the first time as I was studying through that a couple, few years ago, the thought came to me, how did Jesus know? How did Jesus know that his name is Zacchaeus? And how did he know That he was going to his house for dinner. Now, we could play the well, he's God card, but I think it's more than that. I think it's because that morning, when he was having his prayer time with the father, the father said, Son, today you're going to meet a young man named Zacchaeus, little guy, but he's today going to become one of yours. And i got to think that that was the highlight of Jesus' day. He's walking through Jericho, and yes, all of the people, he wants to minister to all of them, and no one means more than the other, I know that, but something special about Zacchaeus, that's why it's here for us. And we see this, and he's walking through, and i got to think, again, I'm just playing this through in my mind. Where is he? I know he's here. Father said he would be. And there he is, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? I'm coming to your house today. Do you want God to speak to you like that? I mean, that specifically, that personally? I believe he wants to. And I don't think the problem is communication on his end. I think the problem is the reception on our end. And we can learn a lot from just a couple of things that we know of Jesus' prayer life. Tells us in Matthew 14, 23, that he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. We need alone time. We need uninterrupted time. Just again, I'm I'm challenged all the time when it comes to prayer. Let me ask you a question, Lord lays on my heart this week. When's the last time you prayed when you couldn't hear your cell phone? When's the last time you prayed when your, your tablet and your, your iPad was nowhere close to you? Nobody could get a hold of you even if they had to. When's the last time? Away from all the distractions, away from all the busyness. That's one of the problems with all of these devices now. We've become so attached to them, we can't even leave them for 10 minutes. Where we would say, all right, God, I'm giving you my undivided attention. It says, also in Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Very early in the morning. Man, my day is just so busy. How could I ever set aside time to pray. I mean, I'll pray in the car when I'm driving. I'll pray, you know, little bits here and there when I got a minute here or there. What about, oh, you got to get up at five o'clock to leave, to, to work by six thirty. da da da-da-da-da-da. What about, if that's the case, you get up at four? <clears throat> four o'clock. The world, does the world move then? <laughs> if I get up at 4 I'm going to be way too tired by the end of the day. Try it. Try it. See if God doesn't honor that. But if you start your day out that way, giving him the first hour before you have to start your day, and again, that means you're going to have to get up an hour earlier, and you just seek him. I believe that, again, now we're giving him that opportunity to speak to us. Lastly, Luke 5 tells us, but now even more, the report of him went about. Great crowds gathered to him to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The busier he got, the more he did it. So often we could say, man, I'm just too busy. Busier than Jesus? We make it a priority. Martin Luther one of my favorite quotes. He said, generally I pray two hours every day except on very busy days. On those days, I pray three. Let that sink in. We have a lot of prayer warriors in this church. Very blessed. Well, quickly, verse nine. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and those who lead us and lead, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others, Then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let me see how best I can explain this in a minute and a half. I'm just kidding. Next time, we're going to take a look at what we call the Lord's Prayer. Let's spend our whole time together on that. Real briefly touching on this first part, our Father. Again, I mentioned to you, he says your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father, 12 times. In in the chapter, here he says, our Father. And I believe, again, that's purposeful. Yes, we are to focus on that intimate, personal relationship, but when we go before the Lord in prayer, our prayer should also be others-oriented. Our Father, never losing sight of the fact that we are a part of of a larger body. And we should be praying for those within that larger body. Specifically, and even this week, and our pastors and, and elders meeting on Tuesday, we were praying and, and then began discussing the, the persecuted church and very pointedly the displaced persecuted church in Syria that ISIS has pushed out of their homes and into the mountains and they, they're scared for their very lives and they have, they have nothing left. They are our brothers and sisters. They need our prayer. We need to be praying for them. Our Father. Like I said, next time we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer in in much greater detail. Verse Verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, when, not if you fast. This word fasting in the Greek that is here, it's a compound word. It literally means not to eat. To set aside our fleshly desire to feed itself with nourishment, with food, to set that aside. Now, The point of it though, the purpose of fasting is not dieting. The purpose of fasting is to seek God for a very specific answer, to set food aside and focus on Him, to focus completely on God and His answer for a particular matter. So, how how should we fast? There's questions around fasting. How should we fast? Again, it specifically says it's food-related. You set aside food, whether that be a meal, whether that be a day or two days. There's not a length of time that is prescribed with fasting. I don't recommend you go, you go too long with it. Some say, well, I can't go. I have you know dietary things and health reasons. I can't go without food. And again, this isn't a legalistic thing. It does mean, though, that you set aside something that, that is habitual in your life, something that would be, would be missed by you. I mean, I, I do struggle with saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from TV or whatever that is because, again, that, that's something that's, if that's that big a thing in your life, we should probably talk anyway. <laughs> I've heard others say, well, I'm going to fast from sin. That's not fasting. (laughs) You should do that anyway, all the time. But the bottom line is it is to seek God in a very specific manner. There's wrong reasons to fast. We don't fast to gain God's approval, we don't fast to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We don't fast because it's some, again, some legalistic requirement. And we don't fast to gain you know, approval from other people, to gain praise and religious recognition. Why should anybody else know that you're seeking God in this way? Again, this is between you and God. And this became such a thing again then that it said that they were doing it to draw attention to themselves and they'd let themselves get all disheveled and they'd look all gaunt and... uh, You know, and they'd say, oh, rabbi, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, you know. No, seriously, something, oh, no, no, no. uh, Well, if you must know, I'm fasting, you know. (laughs) Oh, wow, you're so holy. (laughs) Nobody should know you're fasting. It's between you and God. I mean, you should probably, you know, leave leave some sausage McMuffin with egg wrappers on your, on your table so people think you had that for breakfast. I, you go out of your way so that people don't know your fast. Jesus said, anoint your head with oil. I mean, this is, again, between you and God. Well, there are times when corporate fasts are called. And, or, or you might want to fast with a couple, three people because you're, you're seeking God together on something. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, when you're doing that, you don't go announce it to everybody, hey, the three of us are fasting, you know, it's... Between you and God. When should you fast? Again, when you feel God calling you. I, I was so blessed last night before service. Somebody came up to me and said that they were, they were in their morning devotions and they were, they were praying, God, what should I do? And da da da. And they felt this overwhelming sense, this urge that they, are, they were to fast. They'd never done it before. It's like, wow. I said, cool, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> when God calls you. When you you want an answer on something very specific, that's a great time to fast and to seek God, whether it be for a job or relationship or, or, or something, even a ministry opportunity. There's power in prayer and fasting. Again, in all of this, and to tie this up quickly, when it comes to giving, when it comes to To prayer, when it comes to fasting, should obviously, as Jesus outlines for us here, we don't do that to impress other people. But we also don't do it to impress God. Your giving does not impress God. Your prayer does not impress God. Your fasting does not impress God. You know what impresses God? We see it in the the New Testament. We see it. Twice we're told that Jesus marveled, that he was impressed. You know what impressed him? You know what blew Jesus away? Faith. Faith. First we see the faith of the centurion. In Matthew chapter 8 and again in Luke chapter 7, speaking of this centurion who sent word to Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, My servant is dying. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, I'll come. I'll I'll, I'll gladly come. He said, you don't have to come. Just speak the word. I understand this authority structure. I'm a man under authority. And all you got to do is say the word. And it said Jesus marveled at his faith. It tells us in Luke's uh, story of that, that the people came to him and said, Jesus, help him out. He's the one who's responsible for the temple being built here in Capernaum. That didn't impress Jesus. And that didn't impress him at all. But his faith did. And in Mark chapter 6, we see the flip side of that. Jesus was blown away by the lack of faith. The people in Nazareth, his hometown. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in these, in these three things, it's done with a heart and a response to what God has done for us, and it's done in faith. When we give, again, it's, it's in faith. We, we believe that God will more than take care of any of our needs and that he has entrusted us with this and in faith we give it. In prayer, we go to God and say, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. And that's faith. It says, I, this is what I'd like, God, but again, whatever you want, Faith. And in fasting, again, Lord, I'm seeking you for this. I want to hear from you, faith. That's what blesses and and honors God, is faith. And if you're here today and you don't know God that way, you don't know the Father that way, you don't have that kind of relationship with him, you've been brought up in this and you've continued to live this way that you somehow need to impress God, you somehow need to make him happy, you somehow need to do more good than the bad that you've done in your life to offset the scales so that one day when you stand before him, they tip a little bit even in your favor. And you realize the, the foolishness of that, the fact that you could never Never please a holy God with a, with a life that, you've, that, that has sin in it. And you know that, and you know that you can't, because the Holy Spirit right now is bearing witness in your heart, and you're tired of carrying that burden. It's a matter today, right where you are here today, of putting that burden down. It's not yours to carry. Jesus carried that burden for you to the cross. God himself stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He took that sinless life and he died on the cross, shedding his blood to pay that penalty for your sin. And it's a matter simply of receiving it by faith. Trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. And you today can get rid of that burden and receive the free gift of salvation. Knowing that you are saved. Knowing that you have eternal life. And that life is in Jesus. Don't leave here today without taking care of that. And I'll explain in a moment how you can. But for the rest of us, we can get caught in that again, where we believe it's a matter of impressing God. It's a matter of doing something to somehow get back in his favor because we've fallen out. No, it's a matter of faith. If you're challenged in any of these areas today, again, a matter of confessing before God. And of confessing simply as, God, I agree with you that it's wrong and I've, I haven't been doing it right. Forgive my sin, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to honor you. It's a matter of just getting right back there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.